Welcome to VinePair, the podcast about the conversations we have with a glass in hand. From VinePair's New York headquarters, I am Adam Teeter. And in Seattle, Washington, I'm Zach Jabal. And today, Zach, we're going to talk about a subject that is getting a lot of play in the world of wine. Usually, actually, when I hear this subject come up, a fight almost instantaneously starts among wine people, and that is the subject of natural wine. What is your uh, just you know immediate reaction when I say that those two words? My stomach hurts. Um, <laughs> I assume so. So yeah, I mean, natural wine. You know, for those who aren't familiar with it, and I think that's actually the first thing we should clear up right off the bat is that there is this tendency in the world of natural wine to feel like it's become ubiquitous. Uh, but in fact, I really do think that natural wine is really very much centered on what we might call the coastal elites of the United States. Uh, I think in only a few cities is natural wine really this trend that seems like it's this you know runaway train that we need to tap the brakes on. But for myself on the East Coast, I've seen it obviously in New York City. I see it in Boston. I've seen it a little bit in D.C., but actually not that much. The further I go, though, in the South, in Atlanta, et cetera, it's, it's very hard to find you know natural wine not to mention bars that specialize in natural wine. And I would assume that, you know, your experience on the West Coast, Zach, is probably pretty similar, correct? Yeah, I think you see natural wine as a as a trend, I guess, or as a, a focal point for a wine program, as opposed to maybe just a thing that's noted emerging really in Europe and particularly in Paris and to a later extent or to a lesser extent in London first. And then, yeah, traveling to the East Coast and San Francisco. And yeah, you see definitely you know, some natural wine bars in Seattle, although I think actually fewer than I would expect just looking at like the demographics here. And um, it's like weirdly much bigger in Portland, Oregon than it is in Seattle. You see it definitely in, in San Francisco and Los Angeles. I get like a press release a day for a new natural wine bar in LA, which is weird, but I think it's actually bigger there than anywhere else, to be honest. Yeah. I was having that conversation this morning. I mean, there's definitely something about natural and Southern California that seems to go hand in hand, especially possibly, (laughs) especially possibly the rather empty meaning of both of those things. I agree. So, so I thought a, a fun way to kick off this conversation just to start, Zach would be like, I wanted to give you, pose a question to you and see if you could adequately answer it okay i Um, I like pop quizzes sure so what is natural wine oh man uh pass no just kidding what i would say is i think natural wine is a little bit in the eye of the beholder so the answer that you will receive and if you read your latest explainer of natural wine which literally i read one on my ride over here today uh is Wine that is made from grapes that are farmed organically, biodynamically, or at least sustainably, and made without additions or removing anything from the wine, bottled with little or no sulfur usage, and great. Like, those are cool things. And so, so can you, in, in plain English, can you explain to me what that means? For, I can sure, for listeners I can sure yeah. try. So what I would say is that – so the, the first part of that I think is actually the, – the farming side is actually the part that's in some ways easier to explain, although please do not ex- ask me to explain biodynamic farming. I am not Rudolf Steiner. Um, I know that there's like a cow horn that you bury, but essentially the idea is that if you do – if you eliminate parts of grape growing that were in many places customary, things like uh, pesticides, things like uh, fungicides, things like adding fertilizer to the soil, and you basically rely on creating as healthy a vineyard as you can while using essentially no commercial products. So you can use, you know, natural fertilizers and things like that. Um, You can use some natural pesticides. There are certain ways to kind of, uh, whether it's introducing species that prey on the pests or um, some kinds of applications of um, natural products. But basically the idea is you create a a vineyard ecosystem that is healthier and less of a monoculture than a traditional vineyard might have been in many places. 
And then correspondingly, you take those grapes when they're harvested and you don't do any of the things that modern winemaking can do. So um, some of those things include like reverse osmosis to remove um, alcohol from the wine or acidification, which is actually not new, it's been around for a long time, um, or chapitalization, which is adding sugar to the wine before it's fermented to increase the alcohol level. Again, an old practice, but one that some people would consider manipulative of the wine. And in general, you know, you don't see these wines bottled in, or I'm sorry, aged in new barrels. You might see them aged in old or large format barrels. And then the idea is, in theory, I think, to provide and present a wine that is as reflective of the place it is grown as possible. And I think in theory, that's a great idea. I think you and I would say that's a wonderful aspirational thing for a wine to uh, to try and be. The problem, yeah. as it often is, is in the details, and we can get into those. Well, I think the the biggest thing, the the detail problem, before we get into sort of the gripes that you or I may have with natural wine, is the fact that this definition that you just gave me is different than a definition that someone else might give me, correct? Sure. So I think like for some people, the, the thing that defines natural wine has nothing actually to do with any of the things you're talking about, right? So organic or biodynamic farming, uh, no additives in the in the winery, uh, completely natural yeast fermentation, etc. To them, all that natural wine is, is a flavor profile of wine, mm. right? It is wine that tastes a bit funky, that, you know, potentially is full of resinomyces or other what we might consider wine faults. And I do think that the reason for the explosion of natural wine is due to these flavors that people are finding to be really exciting, to be really different, to taste different than wine that their parents drank. But the problem, one of the large problems with natural wine, is that this definition we're giving actually has no true value or certification. So anyone can call their wine natural. So in mm -hmm. theory, I could use pesticides in the vineyard. I could make a wine that tastes natural and tell you it's natural wine, right? Because no one can tell me I can't. To me, natural wine is just as hollow a term as old vine Zinfandel, right? <laughs> there is no actual certification for what causes an old vine Zinfandel to be old vine. If, if my oldest vines in my vineyard are eight years old, I can bottle that wine and tell you it was my old vine Zinfandel. Yeah. Well, I guess maybe the difference is at least it still has to be Zinfandel. Um, so it's got that going for it. Or at least, you know, like 75%. Um, what I would say is I think a lot of what a lot of the points you're making are, are accurate. It's a term that has no meaning generally. I think there are a few in, in Europe. There are a, for, a few kind of um, organizational bodies that are not necessarily governmental, but that are um, membership based that uh, can denote or can have a sort of a certification on a bottle that denotes a certain set of um, adher adherence to a set of uh, principles like the ones I explained. But it's definitely not mandatory. And a lot of the wines that we're talking about may not come from those kinds of producers, or at least they certainly don't have to. I also think that the other part of this is that we don't really have um, in this country any wine oversight. There's, I mean, the TTB technically oversees wine. And there are rules about labeling. But they're very, very vague, and they're very, very unenforceable. The TTB basically doesn't enforce much unless you put stuff in your wine that will actively make people sick. And so domestically produced, quote-unquote, natural wine is even harder to define or harder to pin down than in some European countries where there are, if not governmental organizations, as I mentioned, there's at least 
trade organizations that do kind of check these things. And a lot of it comes back to, you know, how much do you trust the person making or selling you the wine? You know, you have to believe that if those things are important to you, if biodynamic or organic farming is important to you and, you know, no additives and no sulfur and all those things, you know, the the proof is basically either, as you said, in the taste. And if it tastes right, then you'll probably believe that that's how they made the wine, whether that's true or not. Or you have to like go check it out. And most people don't have the time or ability to go to the winery and like look and look around in the back for that bag of, you know, commercial yeast that they might be throwing in there. Uh, because how many of us even know what that looks like? I mean, my biggest issue with natural wine isn't even just the definition, you know, in, in terms of the fact that we are unable to truly define it or that no one's able to truly certify what it is. The biggest issue for me that I think you sort of hit on a little bit is this flavor profile in which, you know, I think that all the wines, regardless of where they come from, taste the same. I mean, am I crazy to say that? I, I I really, I feel like I've had natural wines from lots of different regions and for the most part, they taste the same. And secondly, I've never had natural wines from places of exceptional, what you would call terroir, from places that are, are very well known for making, you know, high quality Burgundy or, you know, Bordeaux or Rioja. Like, I don't, I don't think that those places make these kinds of flavor profiles because they don't need to. I think in a place that thinks that they're not getting what they wanted from the land or from the, you know, the environment, the weather, et cetera, like it's very easy to allow these grapes to start creating, to fall into a process where some faults can be found that we now find pleasurable to mask the fact that either the fruit was too underripe, too overripe, uh, you know, there was issues that happened in the vineyard, et cetera. I mean, am I speaking crazy or, or what do you think? I think what you're saying is very much true in many cases. I think there are people out there making wine in regions like Burgundy that if they were to choose to say their wine was a natural wine, they could probably claim it with some validity, but they understand that they don't need to. And again, they may not fit the flavor profile that you're describing. I mean, I think we have kind of two different things at play here, right? There's the flavor profile you're discussing, which is this sort of very tart, sour, but also very fruity flavor profile um, with often kind of a funkiness and a yeasty quality. And then there's the sort of everything else that I talked about, which is the sort of ethos behind it. And so I think natural wine maybe appeals to people on two different levels. And I think maybe you and I are sort of perturbed by each of them. So for me, the part that bothers me is, I would say, the obsession with uh, saying there's only one correct way to make wine. And that way is, you know, this kind of farming, this kind of non-interventionist winemaking, and it's an ideological position where even if the wine doesn't taste great, you've made it the way that it was meant to be made, so therefore you have done your job. And I personally find that idea a little bit abhorrent because to me, the goal of a winemaker should be to make the best possible wine they can from whatever they have to work with. And if in some cases that means adding um, sugar to raise the alcohol level or adding acid pre-fermentation to make sure that the wine is balanced, or if it means putting the wine in new oak barrels to mature the flavors properly and, and ensure integration and maybe even add some of those oak flavors in. I don't see that as bad and I don't see that as something to be avoided. I think making wine in any any rigid way where you don't fully understand the process and you do things dogmatically instead of uh, consciously is you're not making the best wine you can. I, I mean, unless it's by luck. And so that's my beef largely. I think the flavor profile is kind of boring. It gets old really quick. And I think the best example that I can, or the best analogy I can draw is that 
when you make wine that way, you are making wine kind of the way someone makes beer in that the raw ingredients become a little bit secondary to the intended style and the um, methodology behind it. And so, you know, even if you are a very conscious brewer and you source very high quality ingredients and you source organic grains and you maybe you work with indigenous yeasts, I mean, that's a less common thing in the beer world, but you do see it. You're still basically going to produce a beer that tastes the way that style of beer tastes. And the where those where the grain came from and this the quality of it may not ever show through. And with wine, I think you see the same thing. And I think the reason you see the rise of natural wine as a big trendy thing is because it's allowed winemakers in Europe and here in the United States and other places too where it's become popular to create a wine that is appealing that maybe allows them to use lower quality grapes in in terms of not lower quality in terms of like their garbage or that they're, you know, farmed in vast quantities in the Central Valley of California or something, but just that they're not considered desirable in a traditional sense. But when you make it in a style that exposes the wine to indigenous yeasts and possible like infection of the fermentation of bibertanomyces and things like that, then it kind of doesn't matter what grape you use to start out with. Cause as you pointed out, it's all going to sort of taste the same. So you can buy that lot of really, really cheap Carignan from, you know, the middle of nowhere, California, and you can, you know, take it through this process and it's going to taste kind of like, I don't know, every other natural wine. Yeah. I mean, I think that's, that's the issue that I have with it to be, to be sure. Like I think, but, and I, and I really do think that I find it from, winemakers that are looking to gain attention very quickly or who don't start out with great, you know, produce to begin with, right? So they, you know, they feel like this is a very quick way to gain attention. And I think a lot of them are, I think like a natural, to me, a natural wine that is well-made should taste the way that other wines taste, right? So there are a few natural wines that I've had, um, you know, that are amazing that, you know, either from the Rhone Valley, right, that taste like, you know, Northern Rhone Syrah is supposed to taste. It was just natural. I think, I mean, you know, uh, there's a, a producer in the Finger Lakes. They they don't choose to call their wine natural, right? But their wine is natural, right? It's, they don't use anything in the vineyard. Uh, they, you know, they spontaneously, they have spontaneous fermentation, right? But they're not, their wine still tastes like high quality Riesling. Um, it doesn't, it, they still don't let the infections come into the, into the winery. Um, I think that that's, that's the issue that I have with natural wine is that it really is what I see is the movement, the behemoth of natural wine that's taken off isn't the, the beauty that you're discussing, right? The idea of not ha- having very little limited intervention, because that's a beautiful thing, right? I think we can all agree that trying to put less pesticides and things like that into our bodies and therefore into the, you know, into our farming practices, et cetera, is, is overall a good thing. What I don't love is that what's really taken off is this one certain flavor profile that to me basically tastes like sour grape juice, which then people celebrate for their ability to chug. <laughs> and and for me, this idea of glue glue, if you will, um, you know, the term that we should be chugging wine also is really antithetical to the, the purpose of, of responsible drinking in the first place. Right. This, I mean, look, I, I love a good bottle of wine and, and I'm, I'm very willing to say that I'm, I'd be more than happy to finish a bottle. But I think the celebration that we're, we're sort of bringing to this, the wine world all of a sudden of like chug a wine. I mean, God, I sound so old right now, but oh, it's yeah. just, is just, and I'm not, <laughs> but it's, <laughs> it's just so stupid because it's almost like my belief about natural wine is that it is the wine world 
trying to find a way to compete with craft beer. Yeah. Trying to find a way to to come into those moments and to be cool like craft beer, right? What what they don't actually look at is like, come on, guys, look at the sales statistics. Craft beer sales statistics are are falling, and wine continues to rise and spirits, right? It's like you guys don't have anything to worry about. But there is this group of people in the world of wine who probably hang out with a lot of cool beer people and think that the beer people's labels are cooler and their beers are funkier and more interesting and more chuggable, and they want to make those similar kind of styles in wine. And so that's that's what I think is happening. And that's why we're embracing it because we've been influenced for the last 10 years in our drinking culture by craft beer and finally a bunch of these psalms who probably came into the world by in their drinking exposure by having probably exposure first to craft beer are now saying, hmm, this is really interesting. I can find wines that are very similar to the beers I originally fell in love with. And mm-hmm. now I can, you know, find really interesting labels. They're super funky. They're really esoteric. They're, they're crazy artistic. And, you know, they, they have flavor profiles that are easy to understand and digest and I can chug. And and that's kind of what I think has happened in this world. And even though there are, I think, people in the world that are that to, totally do mean well and are trying really hard to, you know, push the true movement of natural wine forward, they can't control what's actually happening. And what's actually happening is this other side of the world, which is let's just make crazy, easy to drink wine that basically tastes like sour grape juice. Yeah. I'm going to do something really, really risky here, and I'm going to try and make an analogy to politics, which is probably a terrible idea. Oh, my God. I can't (laughs) wait till we get the hate mail. Please do it. Oh, man, because now I'll have everyone mad at me. So I see some of the natural wine movement, such as it is, and again, I'll come back to this ideological idea, as being – you can think of it as as left-wing or right-wing, doesn't even really matter, as being a a group that is – very, very passionate and very, very ideologically motivated. And I actually think there's something tremendously valuable in that. You know, depending on your own personal political persuasion, you can decide whichever um, direction that is, uh, is, a, is a good thing. But there is some benefit in what the natural wine uh, sort of profits, I guess, have um, have advocated for. It has drawn some attention to the practices of viticulture and winemaking that may have been not necessarily environmentally sustainable. And this goes back, you know, decades in France. It's not a thing that's as new as we think of it here in the United States. And it has, I think, drawn some attention towards the idea that maybe sommeliers and uh, wine drinkers in general should not necessarily treat the received wisdom about what the best wines of the world are as gospel, that we should be curious and explore new things and go out there and check them out and um, and be open to the idea that our parents' great wines may not be our great wines and that taste change and who's making the best wine in the world may change or where those wines come from. And so I actually think there's a lot of benefit that has been done to the world of wine to uh, by the natural wine movement. I just also think that many of the people who are central to it are either so ideologically motivated that they seem to care more, as I said, about the adherence to either flavor profile or winemaking um, dogma than they do about whether the wine is actually good. And, or, and unfortunately, this is the part that probably is going to get me some hate mail, like any movement, they attract a lot of grifters and con artists. And I think there are a lot of people out there who are selling natural wine, and they're using that very loaded term natural very liberally and very aggressively to sell their product, to sell their importing or distributing business, to sell their wine bar or restaurant. And it's kind of bullshit. And, you know, this idea that natural wine is better for you is bullshit. And this idea that, I mean, 
it's better for the earth that we don't use pesticides and and commercial fertilizers. Take it. That's fine. But there's lots of people who are making, who are growing grapes organically and biodynamically, who still make wine in a, what I would consider a more responsible manner. And there are tons of wines out there that you can drink from small producers that farm responsibly, that don't fall into this specific style and this specific ideology. And you don't have to buy them from people who are, frankly, conning you. I mean, I completely agree. <laughs> this is, I mean, this is, you know, the issue, I think, with with this world um, is that also I think the people who have – the reason it can be so off-putting to, uh, to others in the wine industry, the, the reason that I think the second you say the two words together, you wind up having these fights um, that we talked about at the beginning of the show – is because there are some people that have become so passionate about natural wine that they sort of have forgotten about everything else and they become so dogmatic that they judge anyone that doesn't think this is the best wine that's that's available on the market. And I mean one of the perfect examples that I have for this is, you know, about a year ago a pretty prominent wine writer wrote that if you if you weren't consuming natural wine, you weren't woke. And I found it incredibly insulting to compare the acceptance of natural wine to basically the term we use woke for, which is the understanding that there's a, a thing called white privilege that we need to acknowledge, right? And that we need to be aware of what's happening in our global society in the way that we have treated minorities for a very long time. To say that like, to, to compare natural wine to an oppressed class of citizens that have been oppressed for hundreds of years is deeply offensive. And I think that is what is happening in this movement that, that I, that actually it turns me completely off from it. So, so my issue with it is like, look, I actually do enjoy a glass of natural wine every once in a while. Cause it, I, I do like those flavors, but I, I've resisted fully embracing it because the people who are pushing it so hard have become so blind to this, to the way they're pushing it at people, that it just is this movement that I want nothing to do with. Yeah, they there there's a certain humorlessness about the whole thing that I find really kind of off putting. You know, my it's wine man, it has alcohol in it. I don't like why it, this is not life or death. Yeah, I agree, and it's and it's awkward to me too because like these are people that in some cases I have to interact with professionally, um, and you too, of course, and and that. You know, it's it's difficult for me. I think the one last thing I want to note about this is that there is a way in which the this is going to sound like a bizarre, bizarre comparison. So if, if my politics one didn't already throw you off, then um, this might do it. But I think Please of the natural it. wine sort of movement and especially the people who are behind it from the like media side, maybe more than even from the, the wine industry and, and sort of sommelier side as being sort of our generation's Robert Parker. And, and here's what I would here's the reason for that, right? So Robert Parker, tremendously influential critic uh, and founder of the Wine Advocate, who basically said all this received wisdom that that came to me as a wine lover about what was great in the world of wine was essentially bullshit. And I'm going to go out there and I'm going to go taste these wines. I'm going to go assign you know create this point scale that's very different than what other critics had used. And I'm going to go basically create a, a career and a whole economy out of my sense of taste. And, you know, Robert Parker is one of the single most influential people in the history of wine, and his influence is still felt throughout the world of wine. And 
I don't know that there's going to be someone who falls into the who can be as easily named in the natural wine movement. We could discuss people, but I think I don't think there will be anyone in particular. But Parker himself was not the only person. He was just the vanguard of this movement. And similarly, the natural wine people did not necessarily come out of out of nowhere. There was already a sort of a sense of an, an appreciation of lesser known regions to some extent and a different style of wine but it's really i think natural wine that has taken on this mantle of the the received wisdom from our parents or elders is bullshit and i see this a lot from people who in this industry who are a little younger than you and me and as you pointed out we're not that old um and they 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 look at all this and they go well who gives a shit about france or who gives a shit about italy or who gives a shit about these classic regions you know we're interested in the tiny producer in the former you know Soviet bloc nation who picks their grapes and puts them, you know, on the back of their goat. And, you know, those are like cool things. And I don't mean to like denigrate those. Um, and that sense of exploration is super cool. I just think there is a, there are a lot of people in that world who actually have relatively limited perspective on the world of wine, who maybe haven't tasted a lot of wine in general. And, and I feel you because I haven't either. Um, there's a lot of great wine out there that I haven't had a chance to try. And so I think there's, there's a grasping for, um, a new scale and a new calibration and a new sense of what's great. And it's not surprising that the people who are most uh, fervently advocating for this new sort of way of looking at the world of wine are the ones who are positioned to benefit from reorienting, reorienting the world of wine around that axis. I completely agree with you. So, I mean, sort of as a closing point um, that builds upon what you were saying, last year uh, when I was speaking at the Wine to Wine conference in Italy, uh, I got a question from a producer saying, you know, should we start basically making, you know, our wines naturally? So I, I said to him, well, you know, my answer was, well, obviously, you know, uh, you should you should be doing the best you can to you know honor the land in which you're farming the grapes and you know trying to use as little intervention as possible. And he said, no, 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 that's not what I'm asking. I'm asking, should I make my wine to match the flavors that people are looking for when they say they like natural? And I said, whoa, you know, no, take a step back here. This is the same mistake that a lot of your regions in this country made when they followed Parker down, you know, off the cliff. And, you know, you had lots of, you know, Barolo and Barbaresco producers that had always, you know, aged their wines in very large, uh, you know, Hungarian oak vessels that moved to very small French barrique to get more oak intervention in their wines. And, you know, now are realizing in the last 10 years, that's not what they, sh they should have done, right? And that, that wasn't the style of wine. That, that wasn't the way that you really express Barolo in its purest form. So they went back to historically what they had found, but they were rushing to chase these flavor trends that Parker had created. And I think that's that's the the fear of natural wine is that we're going to create a place in which producers feel that they can't make the wines that taste of the place they're in. They must make wines that taste of the flavor profiles that people consider to be natural. And that's what yeah. I would very, very, very seriously encourage every winemaker listening to this podcast to fight against. Make the wines that are supposed to taste the way they've tasted in the generations that you've made them and in the place that you make them. Please don't chase a flavor profile that people yeah. are now telling you they're looking for because that will be a big mistake. And 10 to 20 years down the road, there will be another reaction by the next generation that will be, you know, that's coming after us that will say, no, we, we're not looking for sour and juicy. We want instead power and tannin and, and you know, et cetera. And you will react again. Please, let's just stop the reaction and let's go back to just making wine the way that you make wine. I'm with you, man. I'm with you.
So yeah, well, I mean, it, it, I think we should title this podcast uh, "Natural Wine Sucks" or the problems, the, the problem with natural wine. <laughs> but uh, uh, but you know, we'll see. It's 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 been a, definitely a, an interesting um, interesting conversation. Look, anyone who's listening, if you disagree with us, I, I we'd love to hear your thoughts. You know, record a message uh, on your iPhone with the you know the memo app or on you know your Android phone and mail it to us at uh, podcasts at podcast at vinepair.com and let us know what you think, or you can even email info at vinepair.com if podcast is too long of a word uh, <laughs> you to type into your, into your email browser client. Um, and, and seriously, let us know. We'd love to hear what you think of the show. And Zach, can't wait to have uh, another conversation next week. Absolutely. Looking forward to it. Adam. All right. Talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to VinePair. We'd love to hear what you think. Feel free to drop us a line at podcast at vinepair.com. And if you really love the show, we'd love if you rate it and leave us a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Reviews and ratings really help other people discover the show. Now for the credits. VinePair is recorded in New York City at VinePair headquarters and in Seattle, Washington at Cloud Studios. Our engineer is Nick Patriot, and the show is produced by Zach Jawal and me. Our show logo was designed by Daniel Grimberg. Special thanks as well to the entire VinePair staff, including but not limited to my co-founder, Josh Mallon, and our editor-in-chief, Emily Saladino. Thanks so much for listening, and see you next week.